Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of the Conversation of Our Generation. My name is Nick Jamel, and I'm the creator of the Conversation of Our Generation, where we solve the problems of today with the wisdom of the past. And today we are going to be talking a little bit about the current church that we have established in our country, which is the Church of Secularism. And the reason I want to talk about this is there's been several news articles recently that have come out about the students being arrested for writing pro-life messages and chalk. Obviously, we just had the Little Sisters of the Poor case again. You know, Jack Phillips, the Colorado baker, has been sued again in the last, you know, as soon as his other case was finished. And there's just a lot of odd decisions, I think, that come out of courts that where they're not willing to actually assert anything that's true and thus give in to the postmodernists and give in to the secularists, which, and, and basically adopt their doctrine as the law of the land in even the highest courts, which is generally being run by Catholics. <laughs> and so, uh, what I want to talk about is that misunderstanding of the establishment clause of the first amendment and of the free exercise clause, just what that wall of separation between church and state was supposed to mean and what it meant to the founders who created the doctrine and wrote the amendment. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Before I dive into all of that, I want to remind you that you can find me on conversationforgeneration.com. If you go to conversationforgeneration.com slash podcast, you can find wherever you can subscribe to the podcast there. I have like eight places that you can find it there. So definitely go and check it out. I'm sure that it's available wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if it's not, you can subscribe on Anchor or Spotify or places like that where you can get access, no problem, if you don't have an iPhone or Google Play Store. And you can also go to Twitter, at ConOfOurGen. Lots of good, fun stuff's been happening on Twitter recently. Been getting a lot of good conversations going there, so if you're not following me there, definitely check that out. Facebook.com slash Conversation for Generation, as well as a good place to follow along if you're more of a Facebook person. And if you're on Minds or Parlor at Conversation of Our Generation there, if you want to hit follow, that's definitely a good place to check out. And that is all of those announcements. So let's, we can hop over to the quote of the week, if that's the case. And this one comes from James Madison, who is well known as the father of the Constitution. <clears throat> and he says, The purpose of separation of church and state is to keep forever from these shores the ceaseless strife that has soaked the soil of Europe with blood for centuries. I think that that's a key to what this is about, is that they wanted a way to not be religiously persecuted back and forth and back and forth. Because what was happening in Europe at the time was that a Protestant sect would get power and then they'd persecute the Catholics. And then somehow a Catholic monarch would come into power or the Catholics would come into power and then they'd persecute the Protestants. And it would go back and forth and back and forth. And there was a lot of persecution both ways for centuries over there. I mean... I try to think of when Martin Luther would have been. That would have been the, I think the 15th century, 15th or 16th century. So at least 200 years before the founding fathers, possibly up to like 300 years before of just back and forth 
And then there was also other things that happened between the Eastern Orthodox and the Catholics way before that, but wasn't quite in Europe, definitely over more in like the Eastern Eastern Roman Empire at the time. Still not good, but I don't think that was what the, you know, people with the Anglo origin were concerned about or had in the front of their mind at this point. It was really the Christian and or the Protestant and Catholic kings and queens going back and forth in the British Isles. <clears throat> and the fact that that panned out to, you know, a lot of persecution for the Irish who just stayed Catholic. And so they would get, you know, just absolutely screwed every now and then because they're already Irish. And so they, the Britons had no problem attacking them anyways. And then they're also Catholic versus a Protestant king. And it just didn't go well for the Irish. And so that's what the purpose of this was, was so that you couldn't establish an official religion and persecute people. And you couldn't, that's where, so if you look at the two clauses, the one is pre prevents the establishment by the federal government of a religion. It did not originally do that for the states. And then it says it prevents them from passing any laws hindering basically the free exercise of religion. And so that means that, like, Protestants can't come in and make a law banning the consumption of the Eucharist, right? Something that's the free exercise of religion. You can't ban Catholic adoration, or Catholics can't get in power and ban, you know, I don't know. I guess I don't know what, you know, snake holding and, <laughs> and talking in tongues, or which we wouldn't because... We do believe that you can talk in tongues, but you know what I'm talking about. I can't think of a Protestant service thing that's like actually controversial. I guess you could, Catholics could come in power and be like, you can't have tambourines and guitars in worship services. And then you wouldn't be able to worship in a Protestant church most of the time. Um, or some Catholic churches. There are those too. But I think this is an interesting purpose that this has is to basically allow people to follow their own conscience, believe what they're going to believe in, act that out in a religious sense. And, and like we'll see in a minute, there are limits to that, but that's what this whole thing was about is not to <clears throat> just have a purely secular government. It was so that people, I mean, the founding right after they passed the constitution, the founding fathers hired a chaplain. So, and, and there's several chaplains actually, so that they could get services from their ministers while in Congress. <clears throat> so that is obviously not the intent to not have prayer in public places or in government places or not have religious tones in any way, shape or form. It wasn't that kind of a edict. It was in order to prevent to keep peace between religions and to ha say that you have to tolerate each other to a pretty serious extent. And so what this has turned into though, is that the establishment cause has just been used to attack religion repeatedly. And so I think that's a real problem that needs to be addressed. And so what the first amendment actually says so that we know, <clears throat> and we can start there is, Congress shall make no law 
respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right, or the right of the people to peaceably assemble, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And so, obviously, we went through the other pieces, but the first part there is the one that we're focused on today. So, no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And so, a couple of principles to have, have in mind. I just finished reading a book, which was just edited together, uh, Supreme Court cases, uh, the decisions on like, I'm trying to see here, probably about 15 to 20 cases, I would think, of religious freedom decisions for you know, that spanned over like 150 years, something like that. And so I have some of the principles that they use to interpret this uh, and to apply this law. And so what they say basically is that the establishment of religion now after the 14th Amendment because of the Due Process Clause, which basically says that the states are not allowed to pass anything that violates the Bill of Rights. So a federal amendment basically said, and the first clause, uh, the 14th Amendment said, states are now subject to the Bill of Rights. So they used to be able to have their own state constitution where they could say, we are a Catholic state, we are a Methodist state, whatever it is. But that is no longer the case ever since the 14th Amendment. And so the establishment clause says that the federal government and states are not allowed to create a law respecting an establishment of religion, which generally means that they can't tax in favor of a church or coerce people to be a part of a church or things like that. You can't spend even like doing a spending bill. Like, so collecting a tax obviously is one thing in favor of a church. That's, that happens over in Europe all the time. But they also will say that you can't take tax money and use it as a resource to help any or favor a religious organization. You know, there was a case that they had where a parochial school was its own, or like they basically made this Jewish, Hasidic Jewish sect uh, that was a town of 8,500 people, its own school district, and then gave them uh, a little help for some, like a few disability, disabled students and allowed people from outside that little area who were Hasidic Jews to come into that area and go to school in that community. And they said that you can't do this because you're basically funding a parochial school <laughs> because it was a parochial school. Uh, and so that's kind of the, a violation of the establishment clause there, they decided. The prohibit prohibiting the free exercise thereof, now there's two cases here that come to mind. The first is the Mormons, I don't remember exactly the case name, Mormons were practicing polygamy. And then a law came out saying that you cannot practice polygamy. And they said, basically, that the law holds you free exercise of religion is to, does have its limit because we cannot allow human sacrifice. We cannot allow things that are truly believed to be incredibly disruptive to the peace. You can't have and they decided that polygamy was in that camp. Whereas on the other side of it, there was a Florida law that came up that was 
there was a big group of 50,000 people who practiced Santeria, which is like a mix of African religions and Christianity, basically. It's like the way of the saints is what it's called. And it's, I think it's in like, you see it a lot in, um, like New Orleans movies. I feel like it's in all around the Gulf and, you know, kind of wherever the bayou is, (laughs) there's, you see that kind of thing crop up. And there was enough people there so that the, the Santeria, the Church of Santeria, whatever organization it is, sent someone over there to minister to those people. And part of their religion is animal sacrifice. So in retaliation, Florida or the town or the state, I can't remember which one, passed a law against animal sacrifice in order to kind of quell that uh, and keep it, try to keep it from spreading. And that was seen to be also a prohibiting the free exercise of religion. If there was a law, they said basically, if there's a law in the books prohibiting this already, you know, before it arose, it wouldn't seem as much of like a persecution. It would be like, we don't want that in our city. But then because this was after this had all happened and, or most especially because this is after it had happened, they said it is definitely... Uh, a form of persecution in a way by banning part of the religion. <clears throat> and so that is kind of the guardrails that you see is that there is there are exercises of religion that are not that are allowed to be banned, that are harmful to people, whatever it is. There are some that you can say, nope, you can't do that. And then the establishing of religion, you can't the government can't come in and establish the religion. So a few of the cases here that obviously are an issue, uh, I have one here from the Washington Post where two protesters were arrested while writing Black Preborn Lives Matter on the sidewalk. And so there are, <laughs> I'm getting an ad right now from the Washington Post that says, Support journalism you can trust when it matters most. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but it basically it says here that two protesters outside the Planned Parenthood facility were arrested, charged with defacing public or private property early Sunday. According to D.C. police and video footage, Erica Caparoletti was a, is a 22-year-old student at Townsend University and Warner DePriest, a 29-year-old D.C. resident, <clears throat> were writing Black Preborn Lives Matter with chalk on the sidewalk when police arrested them. The arrest happened just before 6 a.m., soon after a group of about two dozen people led by the anti-abortion advocacy group Students for Life showed up to paint the street of the 1200 block of 4th Street Northeast as part of what they called a campaign to highlight the impact of abortion on black communities. And so they are saying that this is government censorship. The I'm going to scroll down to the bottom because I have a feeling that this is where we're going to get some interesting things. But, gosh, go away. Sorry, the ad is like popping up into where I cannot read anything. And so that's basically the gist of the story. There's no more. But you can see here that these kids are writing, I say kids, one of them's like four years older than me. But these people are writing in chalk on a sidewalk outside of an abortion clinic and being arrested for it. Meanwhile, and... And then there was that one lady who was arrested for uh, 
pouring paint all over the Black Lives Matter mural in New York City as well. But these mayors are directing funds to support something that is obviously of, I mean, of religious importance at the very least. I would not even hesitate to call it a religious movement in a way because they do have actual undertones and overtones of real religious belief throughout their entire system of belief there. And so I think it's important to recognize that and to uh, ensure that we are steering clear of pushing the secular policy. This, I mean, Black Lives Matter is basically Marxist, which is obviously inherently atheist or secularist, and has the... It has a way of looking at history that is obviously religious. It is not founded at all in any sort of scientific basis, and it is taken on faith to be true that we are marching towards utopia. (laughs) And I will admit that I have it on my faith that, yes, we are marching towards a utopia in the next life, or a very bad dystopia, one of the two, but I recognize that that is a religious faith. I can't prove what I'm saying in any way. I I mean, I can make arguments, but I can't be like, you know, two plus two is four and just pull out two apples and two apples and show you, put them together, count one, two, three, four. I can't do that with my faith. Sure. So that's where this whole Black Lives Matter movement is in the same place. It's, it is an attack on this religious, uh, or it is... It is a religious idea that is secularist, that is often atheistic, that is, which is fine. I mean, not fine, but you have every right to be an atheist in America. You can believe that. That is not what I'm attacking. What I'm attacking here is enforcing that on us, putting government funds towards that. And another case here that I think is a serious problem is the Christian bakery owner, Jack Phillips. And so this is a case that came up, I don't know, a while back. And this article is from 2018, so it's not current necessarily. But as soon as he got done with this court case that started in like, I don't know, 2012, 2015, something like that. So after that happens, he gets sued immediately right after by... uh, another couple, and he's just, it's crazy, because it says here, it's, it's, one of the quotes here is, he's extremely disappointed, because the Supreme Court's decision was very clear, it condemned Colorado's hostility towards his religious belief, and the lawsuit filed Tuesday, according to this, names Governor, uh, Names Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper, State Attorney General Cynthia Kaufman, and all seven members of the State and Civil Rights Commission as defendants. It also names... Oh, is he taking a... Hold on one second here. And so this is him actually suing Colorado for anti-religious hostility. That is... Ah. The first... The article as I was pulling it up did not look like that. But... I think that that's good. This is actually even better to talk about because this is something where he 
is actually pushing back and saying you cannot have this anti-religious establishment. So I'm curious to see how this case pans out. I'm sure that it will likely have to go to the Supreme Court because I doubt that the Colorado State Court will find against itself in this case, which would probably nullify their Civil Rights Commission or whatever that is, because he was also, but I do know that they were, I think it was the same couple, was bringing up another suit against him to make him make a trans cake at the time. And that Civil Rights Commission was uh, saying that was taking up for trans rights or whatever at the time and saying that he had to bake it because it did not violate his religious beliefs. And he's like, yes, it does. And again, I just won the case that said that, but they were suing again. And I think he lost in the Colorado civil rights case, which is probably, I would think, what might have prompted this suit. So there's another case there of just the entire court system being stacked against this man. The fact that he had to go to the Supreme Court to say, you cannot make me do something against my religious belief is insane. It is insane that that wasn't immediately recognized. And I know that we have an issue right now. I think that plays into that very deeply, which is the civil rights law. And I'm not saying that the civil rights law is an issue in and of itself, but there does become a conflict when we have to treat everyone equally, supposedly based on the civil rights law. And yet, people aren't equal, <laughs> and so, because that is human nature, no two people are identical. We talk about this all the time, but that we're as unique as a snowflake, which I don't actually think are as unique as people say they are, but we are all our own individual, and so we're like no one else, and yet we're all equal. Well, that only works if we're equal in a certain respect, but not all respects. And so, to have a way of treating someone different. Obviously, let's put it this way. A father is going to treat his wife different than he's going to treat his child. That is not unequal treatment. That is giving the person the type of treatment that they want, right? We want him to treat his wife as his wife and his child as his child. We don't want him disciplining his wife and putting her in the corner and we don't want, well, we're not going to talk about that. (laughs) Um, and so that, that's kind of how you have to look at these kinds of cases where this man is going to treat those two individuals as they are. I mean, I, I think he said, I think they had said that he had baked them birthday cakes or something before, if I'm not mistaken, you know, he doesn't have a problem with doing that. Like just serving gay people or serving trans people, that's not his issue. And I don't know very many, if any, Christians who do, except for maybe the Westboro Baptist Church. <laughs> um, but saying that they're Christian might be a stretch. So as far as I know, based on the things that they teach. But when it comes to partaking in a sin with somebody, then that's a different question, right? Jesus ministered to the tax collectors and the prostitutes and all that. But he didn't say, hey, tax collector, how many people did you extort today? High five. Nice. You know, you make some good money today, prostitute? Good, good. That's good. Here, let me multiply the money with like it's fish and loaves. No, he didn't do that. He ministered to those people and 
said, I love you and I want you to go away from those sins. I love you as a person. And that's how Jack Phillips, I think, treats people. And so we have to recognize that that's a distinction of treating people, that you don't have to love the sinner and the sin. You can love the sinner without loving the sin and without giving credence to the sinner, pushing them more towards that sin. <clears throat> and then I found an interesting one here that kind of is analogous to that. And so I have some resources. If you go to the show notes today, there's a link to the Supreme Court decision of the Little Sisters of the Poor contraceptive case. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about that, but I will say because it was found correctly. So this is an instance where not making nuns buy contraceptives was a good thing. And I'm glad that we found that I think twice, I think they brought it up to the Supreme Court twice under two different reasons or something. And then that students for life being arrested, the Colorado Baker, Jack Phillips article. I might try to go back real fast after this and find one that's on the case that he's being, where he was being sued. <clears throat> and then uh, the last one is here, a list of First Amendment cases and outcomes. And this one is from 2010. It's the Chris Christian Legal Society versus Martinez. And the summary here says, and I didn't look up the full case, but the summary says the court considered whether Hastings College of the Law, <clears throat> a school within the University of California public school system, violates the First Amendment by refusing to officially recognize a student organization unless it allows all students to join the group, even if that requires a religious organization to admit gay students who do not adhere to the group's core beliefs. Hastings officially recognizes student groups through a registered student organization, RSO, program. Having this status confers valuable benefits to a group, such as use of school funds, facilities, and channels of communication, and use of Hastings' name and logo. In exchange, RSOs must abide by certain... Uh, Conditions including Hastings' non-discriminatory policy, which follows state law barring discrimination on a number of bases, including religion and sexual orientation. Under this, RSOs must follow an all-comers policy, allowing any students to participate, become a member, or seek leadership positions, regardless of her status or belief. In a 5-4 decision, the court held that Hastings' all-comers policy is a reasonable viewpoint neutral condition on access to the RSO forum and therefore does not transgress the First Amendment limitations. <laughs> and so, this is a tough one, I think. I think that for sure, it would be fair to say, I mean, and I'm sure that California has this on the books, that you can't just not let a gay person in. But if you have a Christian organization that is talking about Christian things, and they say that, that is wrong, and that's the official position of the group, I think that they should be allowed then to not allow people who disagree with that for the sake of whatever the group is. I mean, I don't want people, you know, yelling, standing up in the middle of a homily or a sermon at a church and saying that the priest or the pastor is wrong in any way, shape, or form about a uh, well-defined Christian moral teaching. I don't want that. And people who do that get thrown out. <laughs> you, you can't do that. And so I think that 
the kicking out of gay kids would be an issue. But the kicking out of people who espouse something opposite of you is, I think, obviously allowed under free expression is and the right to peacefully assemble. See, there's other clauses in this. <clears throat> and it says, and if you look at the way that the First Amendment is written, there are, so what it says is the basically the religious clauses separated by a comma, and then there's a semicolon separating it from the freedom of speech or of the press. Then there's a semicolon or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government. So those two things are different. You are, you don't have to peaceably assemble in order to petition the government. That's not, by the way this is written and what they meant, <laughs> you know, you can have a men's club. You can have a women's club. You can assemble in any peaceable way that you want and tell people, no, you can't come in here. You can make a private club where you don't let people in. That is allowed. And so if you ask me about this, they can have, they should be able to have an on-campus club that, I mean, this is basically discriminating against them then. You cannot, uh, basically what this is saying is unless you agree to moral relativism, you are not allowed to have a, a student organization. Now, that is an insane hindrance of their free exercise of religion. That is an establishment of a morally relativist view of the world, a religious one at that, because basically everything that comes down to morals is philosophical and religious, and it's really hard to find the distinction there. And also, <clears throat> it's... I think that there is a real establishment here of that viewpoint, and California and New York have kind of constantly done that, and been successful in allowing that to happen. In our weak justices, I mean, so this would have been 2010, uh, you would have had Kennedy on the court, I'm trying to think of who, I, I think Obama had one appointee, but I can't remember who it would have been um, at the moment. But I'm guessing that there was Roberts going one way. You probably had a, like Alito and um, Scalia and Thomas probably in the minority, I would think, on this one. I could be wrong, but I'm just guessing based on the decision made. And I think that this is an important thing to understand. And what we're talking about here as a kind of final takeaway is there are religious suppositions that are not Christianity, that are not Judaism or Islam, that are secularists, that are atheistic, that so often we take for granted in our liberal society. And I mean that as in like the classically liberal sense that are extreme versions of what, you know, the Christian tolerance that came to be that gave us the society. It, there are sort of misunderstandings and almost heresies of that, under, of that, you could say, that arise and are being put forth as truth. 
and that are being put forth as the law of the land and are just hemming in Christians and Jews and Muslims to very small little areas where they're actually able to freely exercise their religion because they cannot overstep the bounds into, you know, of moral relativism, of secularism, of these ideas that church and state must never intermingle or even know the other person's name is insane. And that's not what the founding fathers envisioned. They envisioned definitely a lot of back and forth between the two, but they wanted one where basically you were protecting the church, <laughs> churches from the state. That's what it was. It was not in order to protect the state from religious influence. It was to ensure that religious influence was neutral and not hurting anybody. That was the point. And we've gone far away from that directive and much more towards attacking any and all religious people, especially theists, theists uh, the, the people of the you know, monotheistic religions, and it is sad to see that happening. And I think there's a point here where we need to push back. We need to fight back and say that these underpinnings that are being used in these cases are inherently anti-religious and also, at the same time, religious in and of themselves and cannot be used as a weapon against religious practice. So, that is where I think we stand, and I don't know exactly how to fight that battle, but I do think we need to. And so, people out there who are better equipped to fight those legal battles, I ask that you do. And in the meantime, share this episode around with people and show them why this secular idea is so wrong. That there's, that we do need to have a, as Madison would say, this is, this constitution is for good, uh, virtuous and religious people. I think that's maybe said good and religious people. But that said, thank you for listening to the conversation of our generation. Find me on Facebook, Twitter, uh, go to conversationofourgeneration.com slash podcast to subscribe if you're listening somewhere else and you're not already subscribed, and then leave a good rating and review. That really helps me out. And so thank you for listening to this episode of The Conversation of Our Generation. Let's get the dialogue going. Talk to you next time.